Welcome to Overtime Hockey Talk. My name is Mark Paul, co-host Justin Baker, joining me via Skype. Lots to talk about as the playoffs continue. Two controversial goals in the Toronto-Boston Game 5. Leafs now up 3-2. to two. And the Calgary Flames have been eliminated and... It is a clear curse to be a number one seed in these playoffs as for the first time in the history of the NHL, neither top seed moves on, not to mention the fact that they won a game between the two of them in nine tries. That's where I'm Just stopping. You go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Just embarrassing. Uh, dude, I mean... So first time in the modern expansion era, right, that we see both top seeds eliminated. And these were two teams that could score goals aplenty, but for whatever reason, dried up. I mean, Frick, uh, Goudreau and Monaghan, nowhere to be found in the series. And and I, I got to tip my cap to Mike Smith because he was probably, to me, going in, the one guy I thought would have been the weak link in the series. And he actually played pretty, pretty decent. And... Uh, dude, his his offense in front of him just couldn't seem to find the back of the net to save their lives. Which is very strange because the whole point of this series was that they were supposed to have the depth to be able to uh, to kind of neutralize or at least when when I say neutralize, I don't I don't necessarily mean that they weren't going to that McKinnon and Rantanen and those guys weren't going to score. I know Rantanen was playing uh, separate from the rest of those guys and, and he did manage to score in this series. But you thought that top to bottom, the Flames had by far the most depth. And so they would be able to, you know, that top line could go shot for shot. And then the rest of the guys can kind of make up for whatever whatever McKinnon and Rantanen did. It just, it really didn't work out. Matthew Kachuk, I, I feel like he could have been more Brad Marchand-like. <laughs> like, they, like they really needed him to to be that guy. And to me, it looked like the flames were playing regular season hockey and the Colorado avalanche were, were playoff. Like they were in the thick of the playoffs and they, and they have been playing playoff games. I mean, what they had to win eight of their last nine games to get into the playoffs. So there, there is that, but I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's strange to me because in the, it's not like in the past we haven't seen, a, a good team, you know, generally the top seed, they're not playing balls out at the end of the year. That's just, they don't have to. Whereas these lower seeds, they're playing hard. So yeah, sometimes maybe game one, they steal the game because they've been playing playoff hockey and the other team just needs to kind of catch up. But nobody, nobody ever figured it out. Like it just, they just died out completely. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's that's well said. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. The Flames look good in Game One. They, I, I figured after that, I was like, man, okay, Flames are probably gonna probably gonna win this series. It, it looks like it's uh, it's pretty one sided at this point. And and then Game Two, McKinnon just decided to to take over the series, man. And it just seemed to me in Games Two through Five that the Flames could not handle the speed from McKinnon and Ratton, and uh, whether they were playing together or on separate lines. It just seemed they couldn't do anything to slow either one of these guys down. And and honestly, as as great as those players were, Grubauer was even better. Grubauer yeah. was phenomenal in that series. And I mean, I think that you know we we had said it all year. We were wondering when one of these two goalies would 
would finally kind of break out of their shell and be a guy that we thought they could be. And we saw Grubauer play really well last year for the Washington Capitals, get to the playoffs and kind of, you know, fall, he fell apart in the first two games and was pulled and Braden Holtby goes in and, and the rest is history. Well, here's his, here's his second opportunity at the playoffs and he found a way to turn things around. Right. <laughs> he was, uh, he was, he was fantastic. And I mean, it's uh, good on Colorado. The, I mean, they're, they're going to play the winner of Vegas and San Jose. Uh, they'll be nice and rested, I'd say. And I mean, whether it's it really, I at this point, I think I'm leaning towards Vegas. Like, I don't know if San Jose can win a game in Vegas. I don't know if anybody, <laughs> I don't know if anybody in the Western Conference can win a game in Vegas. I'm not sure. Yeah, Martin Jones just got to stop a puck first. Well, that that would help. That would that would that would <laughs> definitely help. Uh, before we before we go on to those those other series, I do want to take a moment and uh, and I guess. Not eulogize this uh, this Calgary Flames team, but uh, obviously this was. Uh, if if we think about this team's projection, when we look at last year, and they of course they missed the playoffs, and a large part of that was due to goaltending, but also really poor defense. They trade Dougie Hamilton. They, I mean, they they bring in James Neal, and he doesn't really do a whole lot, but really at Elias Lindholm ends up being the big acquisition for this team. Matthew Kachuk takes another step. They dominate in the regular season. This team isn't going to just go away. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's not, I, I think that I mean, this is the, they missed the playoffs last year. So it's not that crazy to think if you just put that into perspective, they missed the playoffs, they made the playoffs this year, and then maybe next year they can win a round or two. So is it, is it, uh, it's not as crushing as a loss is for Tampa Bay, where Tampa Bay has been three of the last four conference finals. They've won at least a round every year the last four years. So the expectation was Stanley Cup or bust. This Flames team was like, yeah, I think this team, maybe maybe they could win the Cup, but it wasn't. Certainly was, you knew everything was going to have to fall into place for them, and obviously it didn't. No, no, I... Yeah, I'm interested to see next year because, uh, like you talked about, I, the defense to me is going to be the big question mark next year. You know, Giordano, I mean, he had a great season. He's probably going to win the Norris. Uh, but what defense are you going to get next year, you know, with this team? Are you going to get the defense of, you know, last season or are you going to get this year's defense, you know? Um, granted, swapping out one guy, Noah Hannafin, is, you know, I, you know, is that is that really the catalyst that, that projected this team into to one of the top defenses in the league? But... You know, I'm just I'm interested to see where this team is next year, especially now. You know, this is going to be David Ritchie or Riddich's team uh, <laughs> moving forward. So we'll never live uh, it down, not even from ourselves. I, I mean, you got to think though that this that they're going to go out and whether it's a re-signing of Mike Smith uh, or they're going after somebody else, you you have to think that they're looking to upgrade at the goaltending position. I, I mean, Riddich is fine, but. Obviously, there's a reason why Mike Smith started in the playoffs. No, for sure, for sure. I think I don't know if it's maybe so much a lack of confidence in Riddich. I think it was more or less just the experience of Mike Smith that that played out that they wanted to start him. And um, you know, I I think Riddich, while he established himself as a potential you know one A one B type goaltender, I I don't think maybe they're 100 percent sold on him yet as like the guy moving forward for the next you know five six years. Yeah, you you have to wonder who the Flames are going to target in this offseason. That's 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 my big question because 
uh, I mean, they, they do have, you know, a little bit of cap space. They've got about 10 million in cap space, which is nice. And they do have to re-sign Sam Bennett and Matthew Kachuk. But I, I don't think that Sam Bennett is, you know, you're looking at maybe three and a half million, four million for Sam Bennett. Uh, and Matthew Kachuk, well, he's been, he's been really good. He's been, I, I don't think he's getting more than, more than five to six. So you, you've got that with some, you know, you've, you've got players that you can move. Uh, they do have three defensemen who are all unrestricted free agents at the end of next year, Brody, Hamannick, and Stone. So you got to re-sign probably one or two of those guys. Likely Brody, I think, is probably the, the guy you'd re-sign there. But that's, that's all their right-handed D <laughs> are all, uh, all becoming free agents at the end of next season. So maybe they move one of those guys. Um, they'll need it. They'll need to resign a goalie. Uh, I I could see looking for a new home for you know for like a Michael for a leak or James. You know, man, could you could you trade James Neal with four years left on his deal? Is there anything to be done? Is there any team? Maybe maybe James Neal is is uh, you you hang on to him for next year, but maybe he is one of the guys who. Like he becomes the only guy in his career in the league who has been taken in both ex- expansion drafts. Maybe he goes to Seattle. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's not too far out of the realm of possibilities. I think uh, moving Neil would be probably a smart move, but it's again, it's finding a taker, right? Especially if you don't want to wait around for uh, you know Seattle to to get there to their draft. But you know, I I, I think right now he's his value is pretty low, but you know, there might be a team or two out there that's willing to say, you know, maybe like we talked about in Ottawa who needs to get to the cap floor next season. Uh, you know, he's, he's just a year removed from his, you know, 10th in a row, 20 goal season. So, you know, there's still potential that he can still be a scorer in this league. Well, and you, I, I guess if you're the flames, you, you're going to, you're probably going to give this another year. You're going to hope that maybe it was just an adjustment period that maybe he, he needs to, Obviously, adjust some of his training. I, you know, I don't know. He he did look a little slow. Uh, I think that he's been beat up the last couple of years. So you're willing to give him a pass on this year, especially. It's not like, it's not like they, if he was playing well, that the Flames would have beat the Avalanche. I, I, you know, I don't think that that moves the needle that much to where maybe they are able to win an extra game if he's playing really, really well. But I don't think he was the difference of winning or losing. So I think you're willing to maybe wait this out one more year uh, after that. Who knows? If he has another really bad year, I could even see them buying him out. Oh, wow. I don't know if I'd go that far, but I think maybe maybe you play uh, play the card of trying to get Seattle to take him at that point and maybe say, hey, we'll, we'll throw you a second rounder or a third round pick or something. Well, remember that at the end of next season – we're probably going to like we might see some sort of like amnesty buyouts or something like that to be oh, able yeah, to reset CBA, the table. Right. Yeah. So, OK, well, uh, Flames, good. Good luck to you in the uh, in the draft in June. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry that we're talking about your exit so soon. That's uh, unexpected, but exciting. I mean, if if a team has to go on to the second round and, you know, the Flames have to get eliminated, Colorado's not a bad not a bad choice to be able to watch more because they've been very exciting. They've been very good. And I, I think you're, I mean, this team, it looks like because of how weak the West is, 
is it fair to say that their window is opening right yeah, now? I, right, like we just saw the the little you know the little knob on the window start turning, and that window is starting to starting to creep open. Well, listen. I mean, we've talked about it with Boston before in the past, and I mean, last year was was a clear indication. If you get one line that can really dominate, and you get good goaltending, and just you know your your second, third, and fourth line can chip in just a little bit, you can potentially you know make a make a little bit of a run. And I think Colorado they've they've got that top line right because I I myself I'm almost ready to anoint Nathan McKinnon as probably you know the number two, if not maybe number three center behind you know right there with Crosby and, and McDavid. And so they've got they've got a guy up there who can really take over an entire game. And I I, I think, you know, Tyson Berry's look pretty good and Grubauer, if he continues to play just as well as he did against Calgary, I, I don't see why not they can't make a run at this thing. Yeah, I mean, especially with the if you know, if San Jose can go in to Vegas and win a game, uh, then they, you know, they're they're pushing it to game seven. Colorado's got a little bit of rest, which which never hurts. Uh and I, I mean, I think that Colorado can get ready for these teams. I, I just, I don't know if I, I can see them beating either one of them. I just think both these teams feel more battle tested to me than Calgary. Uh, Vegas, of course, going to the finals last year, they know exactly how they have to play. San Jose has been in this a million times. Everyone on their team, seeming, <laughs> seemingly, and whereas Colorado, you know, this is, I, I mean, you're playing with house money at this point, right? Like. Nobody thought they'd beat the Flames, or very few at least. Uh, and, and the ones that said, oh, no, I think they have a chance, they, they just knew they had a chance. But it wasn't, it wasn't like they were going to put a ton of money on it. Right. Uh, so to me, that second round's probably where this all ends. But it, it'll still be interesting to see if, uh, if those teams can, can somehow taper down McKinnon. But uh, let's... Let's just well, since you brought up Boston, let's just shift to uh, we'll talk about that game five for a minute. Uh, I just want to get your take. You watched, you didn't watch the whole game, but you you saw the highlights. You saw the the goal, the infamous Matthews goal that uh, apparently many people think was uh, shouldn't have been a goal, including some goaltenders like Cam Talbot, Marty Biron. Although Marty Biron tweeted something like, you know it. I don't think that the oh here here he said this he said I guess they must have felt Rask wasn't going to be able to come across but to me it doesn't matter contact was made and in my opinion should have been overturned so there's there's been some you know different goal like former goalies current goalies coming out and saying like what the heck this shouldn't have been a goal you watched it what are your thoughts on the goal yeah I'm a little torn. I mean, I, I do lean towards them calling it a goal because of the, you know, it being a little bit inconclusive in my mind. Because when you look, right, you got two guys battling in front of the net. Hyman gets up. He, he cross-checks. I can't remember who it was from Boston in the back. Um, and inadvertently, I mean, it, it does sort of, you know, you see the Boston player almost almost looks like he pushes off expecting that cross-check. And Hyman drifts back a little bit and kind of nudges Tuka Rask. Now, I understand there was contact made. There's no doubt in my mind about that. However, it to me didn't look like it really kept Tuka Rask from doing what he needed to do. It didn't. Um, no, it didn't knock him like off his feet. Uh, yeah, and it, and it it was. I mean, if you think about what Hyman does, he he cross checks a guy who is who is planted so that when you're 
when you follow through with that cross check, you're essentially doing like a bench press with your stick against something. So then you're, of course, you're on skates. You're going to go backwards when you do it. So he goes backwards into the goalie. So there, there's the argument like he clearly went into him without anybody pushing him in. But at the same time, he didn't actually purposefully go into him. He, yes, he did use a stick to push off of the Bruins guy, but he didn't, he wasn't trying to back up into the goalie. At least there's no way to know that intent. Right. And, and I don't think either too, that had he not, not hit Rask, right. I don't think Rask would have stopped the puck anyways. And so uh, to me, I, I think this is where the NHL maybe gets a little chintzy. A lot of times with refs, they'll just say, Oh man, his, his skate just nicked the side of his pad. So there's no way he could have got over to do the splits because of that. It's like, no, he wasn't going to make that save. The goal was probably going to count. And they called it a goal on the ice, right? The refs didn't wave it off or say this was goaltender interference. So to me, there's not enough evidence where you look at, you know, what Hyman did and say, man, he really knocked him off and there was no way Rask was getting around it. I mean, if Rask had, you know, spun to the right a little bit towards his blocker side, yeah, okay, now I understand that, yeah, okay, now he's off his balance a little bit. You know, and now he's got to move even further over to his left to make that save. To me, there was barely any contact, and it didn't seem to keep Rask from doing what he was doing in the net. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you look at this like football. You know, in in the NFL, you have pass interference, but even if there is pass interference, if the guy couldn't catch it, they don't call pass interference. They say that the ball was uncatchable, so it it made no difference in the play, and. Marty Biron is basically saying just that it made no difference in the play, but it still should be a goaltender interference. And that's just ridiculous. Why would that be still be goaltender interference when it didn't actually affect the goal? Right. And we're getting to the point where like almost in football, how they're trying to protect the quarterbacks, for instance, so much where like, if you even graze a finger on their helmet, whether or not there's any intent or, any harm done i mean they just they immediately call something right and i think the nhl is almost getting to the point where like they're trying to protect goaltenders the same way they protect quarterbacks and now i understand why they want to protect these players why they want to try to keep people safe and i i don't i'm not knocking them for that however i do think sometimes we we get a little carried away with the way we call these these goaltender interference calls yeah plus later in the game you you see that well you know not that much later in the game but the Bruins also scored a goal that was controversial and it looked like it was probably offside and so it was just it was so hard to I mean we're talking millimeters worth of of space in between it, it was probably too hard to call and so of course the goal stands as well and I have no problem with that either like I think that it was it was too close to call and that's not really the heart of that rule I mean, if if it's a millimeter off, I don't expect a human being to figure that out. Like there's, <laughs> you know, it, it's okay. And so I just, that goal should stand as should the Matthews one. Doesn't matter because the Leafs scored a second goal. And so they win the game. If Even if both those goals are disallowed, it's one nothing and the game is the Leafs. So for all the, all the, I've seen things like the league just wants the Leafs to win. Are you kidding me? The league loves American teams. They know that if American teams win, the United States will watch, especially Boston. Toronto people, they're going to watch. People from Toronto are going to watch the playoffs. If it's Carolina 
and Dallas in the Stanley Cup Finals. People are still going to watch. <laughs> well, I, I I get the argument, but the, the whole point is is it's it's again Boston, right? People are going to watch Boston if they go through. People are going to watch Toronto if they go through. It's not like the league is trying to get you know Toronto to win because they're playing Carolina. You know, a market that's so small. It's it has nothing to do with that because either one of these teams win, people are still going to watch, and it's not going to keep viewers, you know, from not watching. Yes, uh, and the the winner of this series gets to play the Columbus Blue Jackets. So that's uh, oh boy, I'm I actually think I'm going to try to go to Game Three of that series Dude. if the Leafs are if the Leafs win this series, which I, I think they will. I've been well, saying. Question th- is, are they winning Game Six at home? Yes. Okay. And I, from the very beginning, I was saying that I thought the Leafs would win in six. Here we are. They have an opportunity to win in six. It didn't go exactly how I had predicted it. <laughs> I did say the Leafs would win game three and four, lose five in Boston, and then win six in Toronto. They just did it backwards, and that's okay. <laughs> I'm fine <laughs> with it. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I do think that the Leafs take game six in Toronto. Uh, even if, if this series goes seven games, I mean, I, I just, I, this series has been back and forth, back and forth. So I think the, the Leafs getting two cracks at this Boston um, with the must win here, I think that they're going to have to go all out. So if Boston does win this game in Toronto, I think the Toronto will still go back to Boston and win. But uh, I'm, I'm confident the Leafs win on Easter. You know, they'll, uh, they'll rise to the second round. I will say it is nice for Toronto. Uh, Matthews has finally shown up these last couple games. He is making an impact. Uh, first few games, it was great. Tavares, Marner, they were taking over the games, you know, when they needed to. And, you know, now it's like you don't hear their names as much, but it's great to see Matthew finally get on the, on the board a little bit more. Absolutely. Um, let's switch gears and we'll just, we'll just start running down these other series that, uh, of course we're recording this at 10 AM on, uh, on Saturday, April 20th. So uh, we've got three games on the docket today. Dallas plays Nashville, Winnipeg and St. Louis, and then Carolina, Washington. And then, of course, uh, Sunday at uh, 7 p.m. is the Sharks-Vegas game of six. So let's start with Dallas-Nashville. This has been, uh, I, I think we both thought this series would be close, closer than I think a lot of people thought. Um, I, I don't remember what you picked what your uh, your pick for this Dallas series was? Seven. You said Dallas and seven. Okay, I said I Nashville did. and seven. So we're I mean we're on a collision course here <laughs> to to a game right. seven. Uh, now that we're tied two two, the same same feeling. You still think Dallas is going to take this one in seven? Yeah, I think Pekka Renee has looked pedestrian. Uh, ben Bishop has been otherworldly in my mind. He has been the difference maker in this series. Now, granted, it has been nice, especially, you know, game four. Dallas has shown that they can score some goals. And it's great to see that their forwards are actually getting up there and, and putting the puck in the net. But, man, when you when you look at both these goaltenders on either end of the ice, I know Rene has had, a, you know, a couple good games in the series. But overall, I think Ben Bishop has really given Dallas a fighting chance. And I think if they, they are going to win and close out this series in seven, which I still think it's going to go, He's going to still have to be the difference maker. Yeah, I mean, I guess, the, I guess the the biggest questions then, Pekka Rene, you know, uh, let's let's say he has another game, like Game Four. Do we see a goaltending change for the Predators? No, I really don't. I think I think much like 
Um, much like Calgary did with Mike Smith, I think at, at this point, Peck Rene is the guy who's shown he can bounce back. He's the guy who can you know steal a series if he needs to. And so I think if you're in Nashville, you've still got to ride him out. I, I don't think you you pull the plug on him quite yet and go to Soros. Because to me, you see Soros, he's, he's a fine backup, but he didn't show me this year that he was capable of, of stealing a lot of games. So I wouldn't put a lot of faith in him right now. Yeah, and I guess the other question is, can – oh, you know – a penalty kill aside, you know, Dallas, of course, they scored three power play goals uh, in game four, and their power plays looked very dangerous. Uh, and I, I think I actually made the comment that, yes, well, they are, they do have a good power play. They aren't that scary. And uh, I think I should probably rescind that because they've been very scary in this series, uh, particularly Zuccarello who has three goals already in four games in this series, uh, turning out to be, of course, you know, he, he scores in his first game with the stars and then gets hurt the same period. And then he comes back and he did, he had a good end of the regular season, the last few games that he played and comes into the playoffs and he's been great. Uh, I think now we're looking at it. We're going, man, these trade deadline acquisitions, particularly this year have been a really strong when you think of Duchesne and Zuccarello and the Dezingle, like what these guys have been able to do to help their team move on to the next round. They've been really important. Even, even like a Charlie Coyle for Boston, who has maybe been the most consistent player for them through all five games. I mean, wow. he has, he has, uh, there was, there was the one game. I think he had like eight or nine shots on goal. Uh, I think in game one, he was Boston's best player. And and yeah, when I, when that Bergeron line has been nowhere to be found in a couple of those games, Charlie Coyle was the one who was generating quite a bit of offense for the for the Bruins. And so some of these trades really making a, a big difference. Although uh, I guess you can look at the other flip side for the Predators and Wayne Simmons just uh, just invisible. Yeah, a lot of that team has been invisible up front. I mean, man, no one on that team has more than two points right now. And I think if Nashville wants any hope of getting out of that first round. They need someone to step up and score some goals or get some points on the board because, I mean, no one on this team, like I said, has more than two points, two goals, and their leading goal scorer is a guy named Rocco Grimaldi. (laughs) Who is is this kid? We should be be talking about Philip Forsberg or, like you said, Wayne Simmons. or. uh, But, yeah, they, they need their guy, their top guys, to get going. Yeah, I, I do think that Nashville figures it out this game. They're going to win game five. Um, the, I, I still think that we're on a we're on a course. Nashville will win this one. Game six goes to Dallas, and then we go back to Nashville for game seven. And, I mean, frankly, it's everything's up in the air at that point. I, I do think Nashville has the, the playoff experience to figure this one out. Uh, but, again, Ben Bishop, man, I – I say it every year. Any year he's in the playoffs, he, the guy looks bigger and bigger every game. <laughs> he grows. Uh, let's go to St. Louis and Winnipeg. St. Louis seems to be the uh, the comeback kids in this series. They've had two come come from behind victories to win in overtime, right? And uh, or well, not overtime. Last game wasn't in overtime, but it basically was. They scored with like 15 seconds left, so we'll say that that's like pseudo overtime. Uh, this team, I mean, St. Louis has just found a way to win. There's, there's really no other way to put it other than they just, they're, they're pulling. It's almost like they're, they're, they're here, they're playing, and then they pull something out of their ass and they, they make it. You know? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, Binghamton's looked, he's looked decent, Hollowbuck. To me, both these guys have pretty much played almost equal in this series. Uh, and, but the difference is, is, I think St. Louis, their forwards are finding ways to win those 50-50 puck battles. And and we saw it exactly on that Tyler Bozak uh, just looked like makeshift pass out to Jaden Schwartz in the middle of the ice. He went and won that battle, got the puck, and just flipped it out there. And that's that's how you win a game. I mean... To me, Winnipeg's not doing enough right now to win those battles and really control the tempo that they need to be to play their game. Yes, I, I'd say Winnipeg has... I, th- I think we knew that they were struggling at the end of the year and, uh, and they haven't been bad. It's just they, they don't look like they have this killer instinct that maybe we saw last year. Like last year, when Winnipeg and Nashville were going head-to-head, there was just a different feel about both those teams. This year, it's like they've lost some kind of edge. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't know what it. It's like a feel for that team. But when you watch them, you just don't. You don't get the same kind of like. Well, they're going to win. Like you know, sometimes you just look at a team. Like I always remember the Red Wings in the early mid two thousands, where you know they could be down down a goal all game, and you were just like, they're just toying with this other team. They're not even trying. And then they go, all right, okay, okay, we, we really, let's just score here in the last couple minutes. Goal, and then it was, all right, we'll go win in overtime. Okay, they win in overtime because they didn't care. <laughs> they could just destroy everybody. And that's kind of how Nashville and Winnipeg felt at times last season was they could they could play their they – could, they could not not necessarily sit back, but they could – they just played their game, and then they could take over at any point whenever they wanted to. But they, they don't have that same – all right, time to take over the game type of type of feel to them this year. Yeah, and I, I do think the other big difference, too, to me for this team is, you know, Winnipeg's not really getting production out of their bottom six, whereas St. Louis is right now. And I, I think outside of Line A and Connor and, and Blake Wheeler, there's really nobody on that team. You know, you, you look at guys like Brian Little or uh, Matthew Perot, guys that, you know, should on their bottom six be producing a little bit more and, you're not really getting much out of these guys. And I think really that's the other difference to me is, you know, if Winnipeg has any shot at coming back in the series, they need guys on their bottom six to produce. Yep. That would be, uh, that's, I mean, that's always ideal in the playoffs for your, for your lower guys to, to produce. Yeah. I just, I, I see coming here in game six, you're in St. Louis. I, I, I just think we're about, we're about to see that jets. Like I, Jets are going to win this game six, go back home, win game seven. Uh, St. Louis has given this a, they've been phenomenal. I just think there's a, there's another level that the Jets, if they can find it, that not only can they win this series, but I think that the, like the West is so wide open for them that yeah, like this is, this is the opportunity. I mean, man, it's, if the blues and the stars are the ones playing in the second round, it's just, this is weird. It feels like. 20 years ago, <laughs> the Blues and the Stars, when they were... Remember, the Stars won the Cup in 99, and then the Blues won the President's Trophy in 2000. And uh, that was the year that they... I think they they lost maybe to the Sharks or something like that. They lost, But they those two teams were really good at the same time. And uh, it's just, just throwback to like Pavel Dimitra and Ed <laughs> Belfour. Darian Hatcher. <laughs> there you go. Oh, Darian oh, Hatcher. There you go. Um, last series being played today, Washington and Carolina. 
Sears is tied two to two. I believe a uh, direct quote was put a fork in them. They're done <laughs> regarding the hurricanes. And uh, they manage a, a pretty impressive game. Number four, they, they win two to one goaltenders stood on their head. Really the only like Washington is, is getting outplayed five on five and it's been their power play. That's kind of been able to, to carry them a little bit they're yeah i mean they're 20 percent on the power play but uh, uh this carolina team just keeps on finding ways to win yeah i mean it's it's been impressive actually i you, you think the reigning stanley cup champs could come up with an answer and i think uh it'll be interesting to see what they do they're gonna have no tj oshi <clears throat> excuse me tonight uh not sure again about the status of him moving forward beyond tonight but so He'll be out. Um, haven't had a look at the lineups either, so I'm kind of curious who bumps up. I would think that Tom Wilson would bump up, and knowing that, I think Tom Wilson and the way Ovi reacted at the end of that game about the the TJ Oshie hit is probably gonna. There's this series is gonna get a little rough, I think, moving forward. So oh, who else be, is he gonna knock unconscious? <laughs> can't wait. Well, I. I I think Tom Wilson is going to probably go after Mr. Fogle a little bit. So, And he's been maybe their best player offensively, yeah. for sure. Um, you know, when you when you look at the some of the stat lines for this series, uh, first off, both these teams are 20% on the power play and 80% on the penalty kill, which, well, I guess, <laughs> yeah, I guess if one team's 20%, then that means the other is 80% on the one. But so their their power plays have been clicking at the exact same percentage. Uh the the goal the goals for is a, is a little bit different because of that blowout win for Carolina but uh, 12, 12 to nine in favor of Carolina but just the the fact that we've you know the home teams won every game here uh, Carolina has actually outshot color uh, Washington in these games like twenty seven shots too yeah I mean yeah on average on average per game it's that's six or seven shots per game uh carolina has dominated them in the face-off circle though 54 percent in the face-off circle uh but this series has never felt out of out of reach for washington you know washington is is kind of getting pushed around five on five in in a way uh they're not really scoring the way that you know we're used to they only have nine goals through four games like that's pretty pretty minuscule uh, the only teams that have less goals than the Washington Capitals are the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Nash, the Nashville Predators, and the Tampa Bay Lightning. So, oh uh, and we—it's weird that the Lightning are that low down on that list. It's just so the Lightning go plus one hundred over the course of eighty-two games, and in four games they're minus eleven. That's unbelievable. Listen, I'm calling it right now. Devontae Smith Pelly gets the—you got the call up. He comes in. He's the hero for game number five. Dude, Devontae Smith. Pellet. That would. That, all right. I love it. I love it. One more series, San Jose and Vegas. Where do you see this one going tomorrow night on Easter Sunday? Boy, you know, you got to lean towards Vegas right now. I mean, Martin Jones just can't stop the puck. And I think I'm almost getting to the point where you have to say, is it time to put in Aaron Dell? Uh... I mean, it, as a coach, man, what do you do? Well, you look at it's you, no. I think you just you stick with Martin Jones, <laughs> and you know why you stick with Martin Jones because you go, this is the guy you gave me. I'm gonna lose with the guy you gave me. 
I'm not going to lose with with the backup goalie who's who uh, he's proven that he's he is nothing more than a backup goalie. Whereas Martin Jones has at least had some a history of having some lights out games. So I I guess you're hoping that that maybe he can find himself here in Vegas. I mean, you're going to need a one heck of a game to be able to uh, to keep pace here. I mean, but this this game has really been a story of goaltenders and and which team's offense is going to show up. I, if that Mark Stone Pacioretty Stastny line is is on, it's over. <laughs> yeah, they've got twenty eight points between the. Yeah, I will say. I, I mean. San Jose does have the offensive capability to come back and really dominate this series if they can get it going. And I think, you know, Nyquist has been fine. Joe Thornton's been fine. But I think there's still another level that I'd like to see guys like uh, Brent Burns go to a little bit more. Timo Meyer, I, I want a little bit more out of him. And I think if these guys can get it going just a little bit more, I think, you know, this team could find a way to push it to seven. Yeah, I mean, Eric Carlson has been very good in this series. I mean, he's got seven points in the series. You can't ask for much more than your, uh, yeah. your, def- your, the guy you brought in to lead your team and, and to be able to push your offense. I mean, he's, he's helped you get seven goals in five games. So that's uh, a, you're not complaining about that. It, it really has been like Evander Kane's got one goal in these five games. Nyquist has no goals in these five games. You know, you're, you're a lot of these guys just aren't, I mean, hurdle, Couture, both four and three goals. They're they're playing really well. Uh, I I'd, I'd look at Evander Kane and say, you know, we need you to score. Like you brought him in for one reason, and it was to score. Yes, he has five points, uh, but or four points. I'm sorry, but you brought him in to score goals. So uh, I I think we need to see Evander Kane maybe score in this game, or or you know some combination of Kane or Nyquist or or even a Brent Burns who's got his one goal in five games, only two points for Brent Burns. So that's a power play too. I mean, needs to get going a little bit more. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Well, I, we both picked the sharks in seven. Uh, I, I'm going to stick with it because it's, it's still a possibility. So I'm going to stick with it. And uh, (laughs) you know, the, it feels like Vegas, now that now that we've watched these two teams go head to head five times, uh, yes, San Jose won the last game five to two, but it just feels like Vegas now. What I was talking about with Nashville and Winnipeg last year, Vegas almost has that like, oh, we need we need to win. Okay, let let's go win. Like that's that's the way this team feels now, and and they've really given us two years of that. Like this team has almost always had that. Oh, we need to win. Let's go win. So I, I mean, it's hard for me to pick against them, but because I, you know, I picked San Jose in, in seven, you knew there'd be ups and downs in this series. I do think that San Jose has the horses to do this. And if there's any team that can beat Vegas in the West, I think it's, it, it's gotta be San Jose. Uh, I don't see Colorado doing it. And I don't, I really don't see Winnipeg doing it this year either. So I think it's maybe the winner of this series is the one going to the finals. I, and I actually, I feel that I feel that way about that Toronto Boston series too, that the winner of that series is going to go to the finals. Wow. So, uh, I mean, I, 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 what Columbus did was great, but I think both those teams can, can, uh, are, are in the zone. They're, they're not going to let Columbus do what they did Tampa Bay. Uh, and you know, Washington has looked very beatable. 
the Islanders, I just don't think that they can keep pace once uh, once once it's it's a team that's stacked top to bottom. I don't think they're going to be able to do what they've been doing to a team like Pittsburgh. Like Pittsburgh, just they didn't look good all year, but yeah. <clears throat> it'll be interesting to see. Any last thoughts before we uh, before we sign off? Yeah, just want to uh, just show my excitement for Stevie Y coming back to Detroit. I mean, my God, I just I couldn't have been more excited when I when I heard the press conference was official. Like you'd heard rumors when he decided to step down as GM last year, uh, but it became official on the 19th for number 19 to come back to Detroit. Yes, I'm very happy for you. I'm happy for Stevie Eiserman. I think I think this is great. This is this is what he wanted all those years ago. And, yes. you know, and it, and it really makes it, it causes me to pause because, you know, the Red Wings have they have taken a a step back, obviously, from the team that they were. Let's let's say like the last time they were very competitive, maybe the like 2013 that lock like that final shortened season that we had. That was maybe their last their last shot at, a, at like competing for anything at that point. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I just. I think that if Ken Holland had had stepped aside and Steve Eiserman had took it, taken over then, what does this Red Wings team look like with Steve Eiserman at the helm? Because let's be honest, like Ken Holland, well, yes, he's drafted some good players. Larkin's a nice piece. You know, we're we're all excited for Zadina to see what he can do. But the players that I mean other than Larkin, a lot of the guys that are on their roster just kind of fell into their lap. So there wasn't a whole, like it's, I don't think that if you had had somebody else at the helm that they wouldn't have had, been able to have a chance at Zadina. Like I would have taken Zadina at six, you know? So <laughs> I just, I, I think that Ken Holland, well, I think he's very good at running an organization. I don't think that he is, he's up to the task anymore as far as the player development and the, the evaluation of players, um, I think that there's just, you know, he's just maybe run his course or, or he needs to take, take this step back. You know, he's obviously he's going to be the, the senior vice president of the team. But to me, he's, uh, he's going to go and take an opportunity somewhere else as the GM at some point. Yeah. And, and Seattle's still on the table for him, I think. But uh, to me, th- the biggest reason that I'm so happy for Eisenman coming here is not only it's just it's a homecoming for a guy who meant so much to a franchise like Detroit, but it's that Eisenman as a general manager has shown he's not afraid to make the big move, right? I mean, we talked about him getting rid of Ben Bishop, uh, a guy who you know was in his prime, looked really, really good, what turned out to be to replace him with just a phenomenal goaltender and Andre Vasilevsky. Um, you know, we've seen him you know, make big moves when move, when he moved out Marty St. Louis. Um, he, he essentially flipped, I mean, Kyle Quincy for what turned out to be Andre Vasilevsky. So, uh, again, I just, he, he knows when to make the big moves, the big trades. And I think, too, uh, a lot of contracts which have sort of handicapped Detroit right now, um, you know, he he's that guy that I, I don't see would make those type of contracts or offer those deals to those guys. Well, funny enough, he has, if you know, you take a look at, of course, the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are eliminated in that first round, and you look at their cap situation, they have to re-sign Braden Point. They're going to have to re-sign Sergachev next year. They've got all these four free agent defensemen that are that are coming off the books, so they're going to have to do something about that. Uh, 
you consider that they're going to have to deal Palat or Tyler Johnson or a Kalorn or a Yanni, like maybe a Yanni Gord. There's, there's a lot of players that anyone in that $5 million range that would open up uh, some of that salary cap money to be able to resign some of these guys and bring in defensemen. I'm very high on Eiserman bringing one of these guys in. Oh, okay. A hundred percent. I think that, I mean, if, if they were able to, I know uh, Tyler Johnson has a full no trade clause starting in 2021, uh, but he is a, uh, he's, I think he submits a 20. Oh no, 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 no. He is. Yes. Right now he has a full no trade clause. So that might be a little harder to get him to wave. Uh, but hey, like a JT Miller, a guy who can play all over, uh, maybe he's somebody who uh, who would be willing to to go to Detroit and be a part of that. Where you have an Alex Kalorn, Alex Kalorn, he he doesn't have a he has a no trade clause later. So does uh, so does Palat. But any number of those guys coming in and playing on the Red Wings, and if Steve Eiserman was the guy going to them and saying, like, I'm going to trade for you. Do you want to be a part of this team? You know, that's a uh, a ringing endorsement. He's the guy who brought them in there. And yeah, do you want to leave Tampa Bay? Maybe not, but it would be not a bad situation to go to a place where you know a guy has your back and and he's the one who really gave you your your start with his team. So, I think there's a now, there's going there's a trade that's going to happen there. Let me ask you this, if you're Steve Eiserman, are you I mean, are you ballsy enough to put an offer sheet out on Braden Point? Wow, yeah, maybe a would you would you be willing to give Braden Point ten million dollars? Absolutely, uh, boy, that's tough. But I will say it would give Detroit a great one-two punch at center, which they desperately need. He had he had ninety-two points this year. <laughs> <laughs> Not bad. One goal in the playoffs, but ninety-two points, and uh, sixty-six the year before. Yeah, would that's that's the thing is that in order to get in order to get Braden Point, you're going to have to give ten million dollars. So then at that point. Are you willing to give up four first round draft picks? Probably not. Oh, probably not, but probably not. Now, could yeah. you I mean, maybe there's a maybe there's a trade to be had for Braden Point if they would if they aren't able to to sign it. I just don't see it. I, I don't I don't see it. No, no. Uh, but I, don't think I, I think I think somebody else on there. I also think that uh, there's a high probability that Braden Coburn is gonna sign in Detroit. Okay. That's I haven't heard anything. I'm just thinking who who does Detroit need? What does Detroit need? They they need defensemen. And Iserman brought Braden Coburn in and really frankly like took him from being this guy in Philadelphia that people kind of saw as a as an okay defenseman and he is now seen as a very valuable guy to have on your back end. And uh well I think maybe there's more of a need on the uh well, there's a need on both sides. <laughs> Nicholas Cronwall is a is a left-hand defenseman, unrestricted free agent at the end of the year, and Braden Coburn is a left-handed defenseman, and that would be a a pretty big upgrade. I won't say it's a huge upgrade, but it is an upgrade for sure uh, to be able to replace an aging and an injury-prone Cronwall with Braden Coburn, who will probably get you 75 to 82 games in on the season can actually uh, push the needle in the right direction and uh, is a good a good defensive defenseman in this league. Okay. All right. Well, 
I think I think that's our that's our show. We'll of course you know we'll we'll spend all off season breaking down every every team. We'll probably spend a good a good what thirty thirty to sixty minutes per team <laughs> come summertime. Oh, yeah. But but we'll uh, we'll keep moving through these playoffs. Uh, good luck to all the teams that are left over, and you know make sure that uh, that you spend a little bit of time before before during and after those games drinking a little bit of. A little bit of whiskey. There you go. That's the way to do it. You watch a hockey game, you sip a little whiskey, and then as the game goes on, you get a little more angry. And uh, <laughs> but it, it does take the edge off of that stress. I've I've been feeling that stress, especially at game four and game five. I've been feeling that little edge. So it you know it takes a little it takes a little bit of the edge off, but uh, it definitely you know makes it a little easier to to get angry at at things. But. <laughs> <laughs> Making it sound like I'm an alcoholic. I'm really not. Um, all right. Well, you guys have a great rest of your weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs> <laughs>